Hi, I'm Emmy Award-winning TV reporter Mara Schiavocampo, joined by Pulitzer Prize winner Wesley Lowry and former senior magazine editor Keith Reed. Today on Run Tell This, a special episode devoted to Georgia. Journalist and Atlanta native Rembert Brown joins us as we examine history unfolding, one of the biggest political shifts in American history taking place right before our eyes. How did we get here and what comes next? This is a cool edition of run tell this because we're simulcasting it live on the clubhouse app to let some people listen in once a week uh we get together as black journalists and talk about what's going on in the news what's happening we bring in some special pseudo celeb guests um and so we've we've had some uh interesting people uh to talk to um and today uh our main stable of folks myself mara and keith are joined by Rembert Brown, uh, you know, may know Rem from his various antics on the internet. Uh, he used to write pieces uh, in places like a New York Magazine and Grantland. Um, and now he works uh, for big tech at, at Twitter, um, uh, single-handedly preventing us from getting an edit button. And so Rembert, welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Wesley. Um, I'm also hosting. A, oh, can we not talk about other oh, people? You can podcasts? talk about other podcasts. That's fine. <laughs> is that is that beef? No, the whole point. The po- whole point of you being here is to promote your other podcast. So, so speaking of election day, remember, plug your other podcast. What have you been working on? I uh, in the beginning of December uh, got asked to help and then host a uh, podcast that eventually became called Gaining Ground, The New Georgia, a five episode podcast about <clears throat> Georgia going blue and then uh, the build up to today. Uh, today is episode four of five. Um, typically we've been uh, making episodes knowing what the next episode is gonna be about. We knew we were gonna have an episode about the protests and the pandemic. We knew we were gonna have an episode about the runoff. We have no idea what the last episode is gonna be about because it all depends on what happens today and potentially tomorrow and potentially the day after that. Who knows when this thing's gonna be over. But um, it's great. I'm co-hosting it with Jewel Wicker who is an incredible journalist um and my <clears throat> southwest atlanta sistrin uh and it's been great um i'm hoping that it's gotten like some folks to decide to go vote and gotten some um some knowledge into people's heads about how wild of a place georgia is so great to have rem on given the fact that you know he's obviously from georgia you all can't see him i can see him in the zoom he's wearing a, a atlanta hawks bucket cap at, at the moment um Rem, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about some of the stuff you all have gotten into in the podcast, um, and particularly kind of in terms of what's at stake today, right? This is odd in the first place. It's not just a runoff election. It's a double runoff election, which isn't really how the Senate works in most states, but Georgia's got its rules. You know, what what's at stake here and what's been happening on the ground, right? There's been a ton of attention, but this runoff also has been during the holiday season, during COVID, uh, Trump's doing all the Trump stuff. I think for folks who aren't on the ground, they might not be seeing exactly how this has been playing out. I think one of the most, like one of the through lines from making this podcast and bringing in guests from all different walks of life, from organizers to uh, mayors from all over the state, like first off, not making, as much as I love Atlanta, this is, it's not just Atlanta. This is the whole state there are Black people that live outside of Atlanta that are in Georgia. Uh, rural areas have 
folks who are Democrats, you know, like I think part of it is just breaking down the reality of what Georgia is, which is a complicated state um, and a state that isn't as <clears throat> easy to talk about on the surface level. Um, but another thing, just in terms of what we've been seeing in a lot of the kind of testimonials that we've been given is, you know, even to just get to a runoff, like it's really incredible that we got to a runoff. We barely got to a runoff. Like this was not like, this was not something that like, you know, made Georgia overwhelmingly blue. Like Georgia is barely blue right now, you know, uh, nationally. And, you know, we're basically dealing with a 50%, 50% runoff going into the evening of the election. And just, it's been, it's been really incredible to, to really talk to people and realize how much work had to be done and how many decisions had to be made by folks years ago to be like, you know what? I kind of think we could do this, but I have to make a drastic change to my life to do this. But when you talk about it, you know, it not being something that just happened, it took a lot of work. It was a coordinated, concerted effort. What does that specifically look like? What were the specific steps that people took to, to change, to turn this state in such a historic way? Well, I think one of the big things is um, <clears throat> we talked to um, representative B. Wynn, who is the like, first Vietnamese American state representative in Georgia. She, I think she took Stacey Abrams' seat in 2017. And one thing she talked about was how Stacey was one of the first big figures who made all of the groups through that existed throughout Georgia not feel in invisible. So like when you look at numbers about, <clears throat> I, think, I think in the, uh, the Asian American community in Georgia, uh, their voting numbers went up 91% compared to 2016. In the Latino population, it was somewhere in the 70% <clears throat> range. Like the, the coalition is getting a lot of groups that typically get you know, get ignored in this black and white universe that typically happens in the South. And not only getting them seen, but getting them mobilized. This group, Con Mijente, um, contacted every Latino voter in Georgia in eight weeks. 310,000 doors, 257,000 calls, 376,000 texts. Wow. Like, that is like, that's where you just like don't leave stuff up to chance. That's like, okay, like we, we are going to do every single thing we can. And it's crazy that efforts like this are happening and it's still unclear if it's gonna work. Like we're still nervous if, if, if efforts like this will work, but you know, that's the, this is the biggest Latino vote out, vote out, voter turnout operation in Georgia history. And that happened in two months. We're not even talking about the stuff that happened leading up to November. We're talking about November to January. And so like, that's not normal. Uh, that's not normal stuff. And especially for runoffs when typically the energy plummets because folks are just like exhausted after this buildup to the general. They're like, oh, God, I don't have anything else left in the tank. It felt like there were reserves in the tank that really kept the momentum strong. It felt like folks were just like, I just don't hope it goes right. Folks are like, I really have to make sure we put ourselves in any type of position 
to, you know, that saying like, leave it on the field, that type of, not to turn everything into a sports metaphor, but it's, it's basically that. Resident former ESPN editor here. I'm, I'm completely okay with turning Thank everything you. that we talk about into it into a sports metaphor Appreciate in particular you. georgia politics because not only did i work in work at espn but i also worked in georgia politics for like 35 seconds so we can like we can make everything about the hawks the the, the falcons whatever you whatever the braves whatever it is that you that you want to do keith, but keith I, real, real quick keith real quick for for the folks who are on clubhouse this may be confusing yes. why mara why mara now sounds like a 45 year old black man um <laughs> our, our, first of all <laughs> i'm 43 until next week <laughs> get it right goddammit. So that so so that lovely voice you're hearing is Keith Reed. He he is the third co-host of Run Tell This. We're we're having some technical difficulties. We're still working through the clubhouse stuff. And so for him, Wes, he doesn't have an iPhone. He doesn't have an iPhone. (laughs) And so and so. I'm team Android. You ain't got to clean it up. Oh, so, green text. Green text. <laughs> green text. Green text. So, so our, have it. so our green text co-host will be speaking through Mara's av- avatar as well. I, I assure you that that is not Mara's voice. Uh, <laughs> all right. Back to Georgia, though. What do you think was, in terms of this specific mobilization, was the more catalyzing event? Was it Stacey Abrams' loss in 2017 under the specter under the specter of voter disenfranchisement or was it or was it the trump era and voters specifically in georgia uh being just exhausted the thing about what stacy did is it's it's like next level inspirational i think like there will be a generation of public servants that will pinpoint what stacy did as like the thing that led them down a path because she literally lost and was like, instead of just doing what like politicians do, which is just like, okay, I'm gonna run again. It was like, no, I'm going to actually pivot and focus on the system and have it not be so much about me, have it be about the people in this place. And like, I get, I get chills just like thinking about the way she behaves, not like the normal politician. And because it's what I always hoped I would like see in my lifetime, people like her who seem to be more about the whole than, you know, a lot of what bugs me about politics, which is people get elected. And then as soon as they get elected, it feels like the primary concern is figuring out how to get elected again more and than fundraising they start fundraising yeah, fundra- the moment they get into office yeah so i think i think stacy being like you know what like we're never you know even if she were to have gotten elected in the future she was going to be getting elected in a state that wasn't running the way it should have and a place that was disenfranchising voters in a way that was always going to be problematic not just about her campaigns but georgia going forward in our fourth episode we talked about, um, we talked to John Ossoff. And one of the things that I asked him about was like why, you know, after losing in 2017 in this like very highly publicized, very expensive race, um, why do you get into it again? Like why do you potentially put yourself in a position to, you know, to, you know, either be be great or, you know, 
go over two, you know, like that's like a, that's a roll of the dice that is stressful to me, you know? And one of the things that he said was, it was this reaction to Trump being like, there was something about seeing what he was doing that like brought out like a level of like impatience. It's like, we can't like, there's like seeing someone who is like kind of off and kind of doing things wrong and kind of kind of covertly messing with the rules, I think allows for people to push the like, okay, I'm going to start in four years or I'm going to push this off until I'm ready. There was something about Trump that I think sped up everyone's timetable to be like, you know what? Like, I, I just, I, I can't ignore this anymore. Like I like, I have to, I have to start doing something right now. But I do think there's a level of, you know what? Like we actually can't wait anymore because the idea of this happening, like those four years felt like a decade, you know? And I was like, damn, like when Trump started, I was in my twenties. Now I'm in my thirties. Like, damn, like it felt like, granted, like I was like 29, but it was like, it felt like a lifetime. I was like, I like, and I think that's, that was one of those things where for so many people from, from all sides of, uh, this operation made it feel like I, I have to start now. You know, one thing that's been really interesting to me following these runoffs is how black of a story this is in a bunch of different ways, right? You've got Stacey Abrams, who's obviously very black, right? That there's this, you've got Atlanta, which is one of the cultural centers of the of the country, but also this is black, rural, kind of black bout of the South. And those are the voters often being disenfranchised as well as the voters now trying to be mobilized. You've got Kelly Loeffler, a Republican candidate who owns a WNBA team and her own black players are basically protesting her. You've got uh, Ralph Warnock, who is jo- who pastors MLK's church, who was John Lewis's pastor and gave his eulogy, la- I guess now last year, but what it would have been earlier this year. Um, who, who's a minister who, by the way, is being attacked as too radical. It's like Mad it's Libs. Old, it's like Black yeah, it's, Mad Libs. It's crazy. It's, it's, they're like all of these different ways that this is a story in a lot of ways that is about Black people and Black politics and the state of Black people and their relationship with, with our government in this moment. And I was wondering if we could like tease some of that out, right? Both in terms of – because one thing we talk about a lot here is – because obviously we're all Black, right? is how these conversations are happening in mainstream media spaces and what they might be missing in other spaces, right? And so it's been interesting for me, for example, to read all the Warnock coverage and trying to, and having attended a black church and knowing what what a sermon in a black church sounds like and what that context is and then seeing the Republican ads. And I think there's been a lot of coverage of that recently. Um, I do think it's very, maybe not ironic, but funny that, you know, all of these politicians were falling over themselves to praise John Lewis, and now they're attacking John Lewis's pastor four months later. It's like um, that with all the heroes, Muhammad Ali. They hated all of them sure. in the moment. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, and then and then and, and I think the Loeffler stuff's interesting too. I mean, it got it got much more coverage the first time around when the players were first wearing the shirts, and there were but but that's an interesting component to me. And so I was just I want to kind of throw all that out on the floor, like the ways that this race 
more so than your average Senate race, because you have to remember, very it's relatively rare still to have a black statewide Senate candidate in most states in the country. Yeah. There's only a handful of elected black senators ever, much less to have this race in Georgia this year with Stacey Abrams involved and all these other things. I just thought that like opened a door to a bunch of other conversation. So there's a so there's a T-shirt that Rembrandt, I'm no, I know you'll be familiar with that. You'll see a lot, a lot of people in Atlanta rocking. Wait, let me guess. That, that just says. That says Atlanta influences everything. Yep. Right. And 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 that's like a double entendre because we know what Atlanta means to uh black people and black culture in this country. But it's a but it's a larger thing because it because it also speaks to the broader influence of black culture on everything else that happens in the country, right? So so to the extent that Atlanta is a trend setting, uh the pace setting place for African Americans. Uh, nationally, it's also it also then looms larger over the broader American culture, and we see that in this in this political race in a number of ways. But one of one of the ways that I think of this is this: so, current mayor of Atlanta, Keisha Lance Bottoms, obviously black black woman, uh, who had been considered for a, a cabinet role in the in the Biden administration, um, but her general election race. Uh, prior to prior to becoming mayor was one in which that I think just foreshadowed everything that we just we just talked about. She was running against a white woman candidate from Buckhead who had been who had run as an independent, uh, but her politics leaned right. Many people accused her of being a closeted Republican. That race, that dynamic of here's Atlanta. Here's Atlanta that is symbolic of everything that is that is black in in America. It's the irony between about you know Donald Trump trying to overturn the election results in Georgia, uh, and it being the current sitting Secretary of State of the state of Georgia pushing back against Trump, who's a Republican, uh, which is which is very uh, which is which is the total opposite side of the coin. Um, because many people believe that governor, the current sitting governor, Governor Kemp, used that uh, same chair, the seat of the uh, Secretary of State of Georgia, to influence the election on his own behalf, so that he could assume the governorship. So there are all of these parallels and all of the all of these different um, intersections, culturally and politically, between what's happened uh, in Atlanta politically. Lo the the local Atlanta political scene in the last four to five years, and what's happening in, in at not only the city of Atlanta but the state of Georgia's broader uh, impact on the national politic through the presidential race and this runoff race today, vis-a-vis -vis black people, black women, and black culture. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just there are so many entry points. There's just like so many black ass characters in this like show. <laughs> That is like, black of, yeah, of it all. you know, like when you talk about black Atlanta, like you have Warnock who presides over Ebenezer, John Lewis's church, Ossoff interned for John Lewis. And Lewis is the one who recommended him to work for Hank Johnson for five years, Congressman Hank Johnson for five years, which is, does if that doesn't happen, he's not running for, it's like, it's just, there are so many things overlapping and happening kind of at the same time. And it does feel like, even though I do think Georgia really came out of <clears throat> nowhere as the state that was really gonna decide it all, when you kind of zoom out, 
Georgia was ripe for this moment. People care about Atlanta a lot, mostly because of the cultural stuff, not the political stuff. People are people are people are playing catch up on what's been going on politically. But Atlanta is one of those places that people over time have decided they like, you know, know a lot about, even if they don't know anything about, even if they haven't really visited. It's just like, oh, I, you know, Atlanta, you know. Northside, like Migos, I get Atlanta. It's like, well, not really, but you know, I, I I respect the effort, but I do, you know, I do think there is something like wildly poetic and sad and beautiful about the same year this happens. Like, it's not just John Lewis. Is is John Lewis? Is Joseph Lowry? Is C. T. Vivian? Like, these are three giants, you know, of of an era that not only pushed Atlanta and Georgia forward, but the whole nation forward to have, you know, to have lost all three of them in this most important year for the city and for the state and for the nation. It's like, it's, it's sad, it's, but it also has given us, um, it's allowed us to talk about them a lot and think about their contributions and not just in the way that it's like good trouble, good trouble. You know, it's like, nah, like I was, I, I literally am reading a Stokely Carmichael book and it's all about old school John Lewis, you know, like that's not the one that they talk <laughs> about when they see him with the backpack in the comic book. It's like, nah, like, you know, it's the same thing the with one, who, the one who had his speech. The one who had his speech neutered at the, at the, yeah. at the march on what like yeah. that guy. Yeah, the one who, you know, the one who, you know, Bill Clinton used as a way to put, like, position him against Stokely Carmichael is like, oh, no, like, like he wasn't a radical. You know, it's like, there's... But it's, there's... The same, it's the same way with so many, like, Jesus, hello. Jesus is one of the most radical figures in history. Jesus was directly challenging authority. Jesus was turning over tables in the street. Wait, but... I'm so glad you brought him Jesus. I'm so glad you brought him Jesus because one of the, speaking of Jesus, one of the most fascinating elements of this has been like in an effort to tear down this black man in Raphael Warnock, they've kind of just like they've like when when Warnock talks about himself as like a preacher and a man of the Lord and Jesus, like it's sometimes I listen to. Loeffler, Leffler, however, and and I'm like, did she just like throw a shot at Jesus? <laughs> like sometimes I feel like she like throws some strays at Jesus, which was not on my bingo card of how this election would go. But it's you know it's yeah, crazy. It, it's it's been really interesting, you know, to like build out that context a little bit. Obviously, Raphael Warnock is one of the two Democratic candidates. It's him. And John Ossoff are running in the runoff. And then you have uh, David Perdue, who's incumbent senator, and then um, Kelly Loeffler. And Warnock is the, um, the pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church, where the kings uh, were the pastors previously. He's been in that position now over a decade. He was John Lewis's personal pastor and gave the eulogy at John Lewis's funeral earlier this year. And there's been a consistent set of attacks that have come from Republicans arguing that he's too radical. So first they brought up the fact that when he was on a staff at a church in New York, that the Reverend Jeremiah Wright had spoken at one it's point. My church, we by remember, the way, it's my home church. And, and we remember that Jeremiah Wright 
Oh, oh, here we go. Another more shots at Jesus. More shots at Jesus. And so, but we'll remember that Jeremiah Wright um, was Barack Obama's pastor, and there had been controversy around specifically his goddamn America uh, sermon. Uh, then they came. Then they found a clip of Warnock giving a um, a sermon in which he talks about how you can't serve two masters, which is a pretty standard, uh, it's a verse from Matthew, uh, I think it's Matthew 5, uh, but he's talking about you can't serve two masters, you can't, ser- you know, you can't serve money and, and God, you can't serve the military and God, and the Republicans basically took that and said, well, Warnock's saying if you're in the military, you can't be a Christian, like you can't do, and so there have been any number of, like two things, just from watching it and reading, two things can be true at the same time. Right. The first the first thing that can be true is that a lot of these attacks aren't being leveled in particularly good faith. Like they're not looking at the context of what he's saying. But secondarily, what's also true is that I actually think most white Americans, if they encountered a black church and black preaching, would be quite scared and confused uh, because there is a world that exists there that is very different. The idea that from the pulpit you would be talking about issues in society and comparing uh, the way black people are treated in America to historic injustices, you know, that idea is something that's present in black pulpits every single Sunday and Wednesday at prayer meeting. And like, you know, and, and that looks very different very often than what's being preached in white churches. And so there is this kind of two for one. Warnock's not saying anything that isn't being said by all types of ministers and all types of pastors in black congregations across the country and believed by black Christians across the country. And also there are a lot of white Christians who are like, wait a second, this is what y'all talk about at church? For a lot of congregations, places to make people feel proud about being black, you know, like it's, it is, it, it is just part of, you know, there, there's so much about the black church that is about helping people make it to the next Sunday, you know, because that is so much of the, like, what's undergoing the church is just like needing something to keep going. I think sometimes I have to take a step back and remind myself like, oh yeah, like this isn't everyone's experience. I watched that uh, WSB debate. Uh, was it was it was it on WSB? I believe it, you I mean, believe it was. The one with uh, Leffler and Warnock? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I watched so I watched that debate and I just and I I just really wanted him to grab hold of that about the 45th time that she said it and, and, and to throw it back at her and say, okay, if you consider me a radical, me, a, a, a preacher in the South, a radical socialist, uh, I would like to know what kind of church you attend and what they preach there. Because, <laughs> because yeah. if, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm talking about Jesus and that makes me a radical socialist and you then oppose what he stood for, then I, I, I need to know what it is that you're talking about in, in your house of worship. But I want you to, if you if you can or if you feel comfortable, um, do as much handicapping as as you think is possible. Is is it is it a possibility that that both of these seats flip? Uh, is it a possibility that you could that you could split the ticket with one going to uh, either candidate and 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 one you know remaining in the in Republican hands, or do you think that that it's not possible at all? What do you what do you what is your gut as a political reporter and a creature of uh, Atlanta 
tell you? I mean, so it's interesting. I have, I have so many different news sources going on right now. Like I got like the two group texts going. I've got CNN scaring the shit out of me right now. I got, I'm talking to my mom, you know, uh, just all, all types of things happening at the same time. I do think the, the thing I've heard the most is the, is the split makes like the least sense just based off of how people uh, are voting because this has, there has been an element of this that is like this joint ticket runoff. Um, what I will say, one thing that can feel a little worrisome is Purdue has kind of just been in the cut. You know, he's like, he's like kind of rope-a-doped this whole thing where he's like, I'm not debating. I got, I'm, I'm, I'm not even coming out because I like, I got exposed to someone for COVID. So I'm inside on election day. He's just kind of fallen into the background, which honestly, I don't know which way that plays. It's definitely going to play in one way or the other, but there's an element where sometimes it did feel like Ossoff and Warnock versus Leffler, you know? And because she was just out here doing the most, you know, blatantly wrong stuff, but also the most visible person, you know, like wearing, you know, showing up, saying stuff. She did debate. Purdue now famously did not show up to the debates, you know. And so I do think that Leffler, between Leffler and Purdue, I do think Purdue has the strongest chance. Like it also because he already has been a senator. <laughs> You know, like there is an element of Leffler and Warnock both kind of, you know, jumping into politics, you know, kind of like kind of abruptly and they're kind of coming at each other. And there's a like some of their back and forth feels kind of rough around the edges. Um, so, you know, I I do think that all of the um, and from all the folks I'm talking to and like in the making of the podcast and everything, the all of all of the early voting and the mail-in voting, like all of that stuff were like extremely positive signed for the Democrats. I think the reason that the Democrats have been very careful to show any excitement is that they know that even with what may feel like a lead, there's no way to predict what is the election day turnout, which typically are when Republicans come out in very strong numbers. You know, when you when you factor in like the circus that's happening with Trump, Kemp, Raffensperger, like all, all of this madness that's happening in this, you know, very like ignorant family over here, over to the side that like doesn't know how to talk to one another. Um, it's unclear how that's going to actually affect things. Um, but I do know that, you know, Without all of the early stuff, I feel like it would be it would be very like hope and a prayer. So, so we're gonna have to wrap in a second because Rem, I know you got it out. I apparently have it out. Someone put something on my calendar that's now flashing at me. But um, someone, I, but I but I do something. have. Uh, yeah, look, I, I don't know who committed to this <laughs> this five thirty, but um, but 
I do have one more question for you before we go. So, you know, so today was the first time we tried this this way, simulcasting the podcast on Clubhouse. There's been you know a fair number of people in and out. Uh, we really appreciate you sticking by. Uh, for those who might be interacting with us for the first time, uh, myself, Mara, and Keith, whose face you're not seeing but whose voice has been appearing through Mara, are longtime black journalists who host a weekly podcast kind of talking about the news uh, and what's going on. We bring on a bunch of our writer friends. We bring on some celebs and other folks like that, politicians. And so if you enjoyed this at all, feel free to find us wherever you get your podcast, Run Tell This. Um, and I'm sure, I mean, we haven't discussed this yet, but I'm sure we'll be back in this space again soon. Oh, yeah. Um, and so – Thank you all for tuning in. Rembert, before we go, where are you watching the election tonight? Like, what's your election night plan? So my plan was to not watch and to get updates from my mother until my mother called me and told me that she was not going to watch and needed updates (laughs) from me. Let me maybe find some good news and then fall asleep immediately. Uh, But it is that weird thing where... um, I know that when I wake up, it's less about tonight, when I wake up in the morning, I'm gonna like be really nervous to open my phone. Like, yeah. because like things would have happened and I'm just gonna like probably do a 30 minute meditation or something to clear my head before I actually turn my phone on. If you were able to do a 30 minute meditation before you check your phone in the morning, you are a man of incredible spiritual restraint and discipline. That is, that Will is. You let us know if that happens. I will. I'll, I'll, send, I'll send a screenshot when it says meditation in <laughs> okay. one minute and 22 seconds. I'll send you that one. <laughs> this, is, this is probably when my meditation uh, ends. Um, I, will, I will also say I did enjoy. Um, I was talking shit about Clubhouse before we started because I am a Twitter employee and, you know, Twitter space is coming soon. Shout out. But I did enjoy seeing friends of mine pop up as I was talking. I was like, oh, like, that's nice. And then and then leaving as you kept talking. Oh, I mean, here's the thing. If they're my friends, they know I ramble. They ain't got time. For this. <laughs> 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 I, know, but I don't know about Twitter spaces. What's Twitter spaces? Oh, Twitter spaces is, is audio spaces. It's a... It's a platform for folks on Twitter. Instead of talking on club, instead of talking on Clubhouse and then going to talk about what you talked about Clubhouse on Twitter, it's just all on Twitter. So when is yeah, that? Mari, 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 you know how the social media things all see how one thing does well <laughs> right. and then they steal oh, it I and just go. do it themselves. Stories, stories on every single platform now. <laughs> oh, Wesley, there's my heart out. <laughs> Remember, with that said, thank you so much. Uh, uh, thank check you out the podcast. Gaining ground is the podcast. And thank you all. Yeah, Ground Podcast. Thank you, Rembert, for being with us. And thank you all for joining us on Clubhouse. Hey, don't forget to subscribe and please leave us a five-star review. And the conversation continues on social media. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RuntellThis underscore. Check out new episodes every Wednesday. Runtell This is an independent production of Mara Scampo, Inc.